from ABC News. This is Powerhouse Politics with ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, ABC News Political Analyst Matthew Dowd, and ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Now here's your host, Jonathan Carl. All right, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. What a week in politics. I've got, as we always will, Rick Klein and Matthew Dow joining me. We have a special uh, guest as well. We have Chief ABC News legal analyst Dan Abrams because, wow, what a year for the courts. What a year for the law. What I mean, look at this. We've got this incredible political campaign. We have a, a new chapter where we have a front runner sending cease and desist letters, threatening a lawsuit against uh, his his arguably the most formidable challenger. We have Justice Scalia, the conservative icon of the court, dying in the middle of this campaign. And then, you know, not to mention uh, what, a, what a fight between the front runner and the Pope. Rick. The Pope got involved. It's like Donald Trump ran out of people to have fights with if the, po- <laughs> the Pope had to get involved. And still Donald Trump's the front runner. It doesn't matter who he's having a fight with. It would seem that uh, even even the Pope himself can't derail the Donald in this extraordinary year and litigious year, as you point out. So I want to get to the litigiousness of, of, of this year and of this campaign while we have Dan with us at the top of our inaugural uh, politics, uh, powerhouse politics podcast. Uh, I, Dan, before I, I ask you about the, the back and forth, the legal challenges, the threats, I, I want to just give a little sense of this, uh, play a little sound from this past week of Donald Trump and Ted Cruz going back and forth over potentially a showdown in court. Let's listen. I'm going to bring a lawsuit because, in my opinion, based on what I've learned over the last two, three days from very top lawyers, he doesn't even have the right to serve as president or even run as president. He was born in Canada. So I will bring that lawsuit if he doesn't apologize. You have been threatening frivolous lawsuits for your entire adult life. Even in the annals of frivolous lawsuits, this takes the cake. It is a remarkable contention that an ad that plays video of Donald Trump speaking on national television is somehow defamation. We will bring a lawsuit if he doesn't straighten his act out. He's a lying guy, a really lying guy. Some people misrepresent. This guy's just a plain outlier. So I look forward to any lawsuit. And let me note, by the way, one of the things I look forward to most of all is deposing Donald Trump for that particular endeavor. I may well not use outside counsel. I may take the deposition myself. Donald Trump does not want to be under oath answering questions about his own record because his position, quite simply, is that anyone who points to his record is somehow lying. But I've never seen anybody that lied as much as Ted Cruz. And he goes around saying he's a Christian. Donald has had a long career of using great wealth and power trying to bully others. And threatening frivolous lawsuits has been one tool he's used. The bullying is not going to work here. Okay, so, uh, Dan, there's so much to unpack here. Um, But before we get to the whether or not there is an actual legal case to be made that Ted Cruz is ineligible to run because he was born in Canada, what what do you make of what how this kind of unfolded? Trump basically sent a cease and desist letter to the Cruz campaign telling them to pull down uh, the ad that they have running in South Carolina that is attacking Trump. Is, is, have we ever seen something like that? No. I mean, remember, we're talking about two types of lawsuits here, right? We're talking about one, which is defamation, and another, which is his eligibility uh, to even run for president. And, you know, the two are being conflated at times, and it sounds like basically Trump is saying, 
unless you apologize to me, I'm going to sue you on both. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what makes this you know, so spectacular. I mean, look, all of this notion of you know, Ted Cruz is going to depose Donald Trump. Yeah, none of this is happening. Okay? Whether Donald Trump actually does file a lawsuit is a separate question. But if he does it, it will be a political move, not a legal move. Because, and let's just take it through both types of lawsuits, right? First, the question of the natural-born born citizen. Um, there are already a number of cases now in the courts with individuals saying Ted Cruz shouldn't be eligible to, to run in my state because he's not a natural-born citizen. None of them have actual standing. And I'm certain that most of those cases will ultimately dis- be dismissed. But if Donald Trump himself decided to sue on that ground, he would have standing, meaning because he's being personally injured or, you know, as a result of this, because of the campaign, et cetera. So I think there's an argument to be made that if Donald Trump wants to sue Ted Cruz to say he's not a natural-born citizen, he would have standing to sue. Now, question two, would he have a strong lawsuit? Probably not. Because remember, on its sort of most basic scale, that would mean that anyone who was born abroad. So, you know, there have been our founding fathers have traveled and had children while they were traveling. Um, you know, John Jay, I think, was one of them. Um, you know, and immediately what you're saying is that any child of an American citizen born somewhere else isn't a natural born citizen. I think that no court is going to, um, I don't think that's going to be uh, deemed to be an appropriate reading of the term natural born citizen. And I think the Supreme Court isn't going to want to touch it. So in that sense, I don't think Donald Trump has a winning lawsuit, but as a political matter, he could have a winning political argument. So Question two yeah. on defamation, real quick, which is, again, to, to prove defamation against someone, uh, you have to show, and when you're talking about um, someone like Cruz or Trump, you have to show that, that it was basically knowing, that they knew what they were saying wasn't true, or that a reasonable person would have known it's not true. It's a very hard standard called actual malice. And again, if Trump wants to sue, he can sue. It would become a political statement and not a winning legal argument. So is there on the defamation, I mean, if, if you did have a, a clear case, if, if a candidate, and forget if it's Trump, whoever it is, if, if, if a political candidate is attacked by an opponent with a, uh, a, a television advertisement that is clearly and blatantly false, and again, as you mentioned, knowingly uh, deceptive, is, is there legal recourse there, or, or is this political speech and you're allowed to lie about your opponent? Well, deceptive isn't enough. If you literally say... You know, uh, someone was convicted of robbery, right? Let's say you make something up. Yeah. Someone, this person was convicted of robbery, and you put that in an ad. Um, that person could be sued. Um, that would be a false statement of fact that the person must have known was false. What you're talking about here is interpretation and um, misusing quotes and taking them out of context. That's not uh, going to be the subject of a valid defamation suit. He's literally got to be able to show that the facts on a significant issue of fact, whether it be damages, was, was, um, was clearly um, false and knowingly so. And in, this would be very hard to, to prove because, look, we, as you guys know better than me, we'd have every political campaign would have yeah. 
if that were the case. I mean, they were always saying, oh, it's false. It's not true. Okay, what, are we going to always resolve this in the courts as opposed to in the in the political arena? And one of the things that's extraordinary here, John, is that he's not filing anything. He keeps threatening to. He's sending these letters. And I'm interested in your take on this, Matthew, because the idea of uh, of using the courts to, to settle disputes, you know, over-lawyering these things, that would seem to be the kind of thing that Republican primary voters might not like. Is there any sense that you have, Matthew, that this or anything else derails Trump in the pursuit of the nomination? The fact that he's out there bringing potentially frivolous lawsuits against political opponents, does that have a backlash? Well, first, the, the funny thing to me about this is if the standard is saying exaggerating stuff and saying stuff is untrue, then the positive ads that campaigns put out there are more problematic <laughs> than the negative ones. <laughs> so, I mean, when you look at these, there's actually more fact bases in the negative ads than there are in the positive ads. <clears throat> I think Donald Trump knows. Donald, Donald Trump said yesterday that, oh, by the way, I have a lot of lawyers and I like to send a lot of letters and we'll see what happens. I think Donald Trump knows better than anyone. And this is a PR move. And I think the basis of his PR move in this case has been twofold. First is is to put the weight basically and say basically this is not a guy you like. You can't trust this guy. An argument that not only Donald Trump is making but that Marco Rubio is making. Donald Trump is just making in a more pointed way using lawsuits as a lever to say don't trust this guy. This guy lies. He's lying about everybody. He lies about me. That's the first thing. And I think on the Canadian-born whether or not he's a natural-born citizen thing, I actually think it's not so much about whether or not he really is constitutional and constitutionally eligible. It's much more about this guy was born in Canada, right? It's his way of saying, you know, everything's great and all that, but this guy was born in Canada. And I think that, um, those two things, and basically tries to push Ted Cruz over the side and says, you can't trust this guy. And oh, by the way, he's quote unquote, not an American. He's born in Canada. And so I think in the course of this whole thing and the lawsuits, and I don't think Republican voters like the idea of lawsuits and all that, but I do think they hear cues. And the cues in this are, can Ted be trusted? And is he really an American citizen? And those cues, I think, become over time difficult for Ted Cruz to refute. So, so Dan, and I know you have to go. So one last question. I just want to unpack what you said. You said clearly Donald Trump has standing to take a lawsuit uh, to, to, uh, on whether or not Cruz is eligible. And you believe that Cruz is almost certainly eligible. But, but I, isn't it also true that it is not a matter of settled law, that there is some question here? So what, what I'm asking is, if Trump actually takes the step that he has said he would, um, and then now seems to be backing away from or is at least, you know, raising saying it's a question of whether or not he will. But if he actually did this, this would have to go to this would have to be adjudicated. Right. This wouldn't be dismissed. This this is a this is a case that, that could potentially go to the Supreme Court, isn't it? It, it could. But it's, look, you're right that it's not settled law. And without getting into the weeds on sort of what the interpretations have been throughout throughout history, um, it, it definitely would make it into the first round of the courts. I do not think the Supreme Court would want to touch it. I think that the court would, my, my guess would be that a lower court would rule that um, Cruz is eligible. They would quickly resolve the lawsuit and the court would decide not to hear it, which basically right. means lower court ruling stands. Right. All right. Dan Abrams, thank you very much for joining us here on our inaugural uh, powerhouse uh, to be on the politics. First show. All right. Take care. So. So, Matthew, I, I got a question for you on on this, though. The, the, Trump came out and he said emphatically, 
I am going to sue unless he apologizes, unless Cruz apologizes and takes down those ads. Cruz responded by saying, you know what? I'm going to run more of the ads. And then Trump said, well, I'm still deciding whether or not I'm going to sue. Isn't there a little bit of a credibility issue here? I mean, they, 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 I mean, he's backing down? Is he not following through on a threat? What's going on? <laughs> well, if credibility was a standard in the course of this with Donald <laughs> okay, Trump okay. on many different issues, we would it would all be a fatal complete. I think that uh, Donald Trump views everything in a 24-hour cycle, right? And, and everything you've watched, we've, we've all three of us have watched this guy. He basically does it, makes a point, moves on, and then if somebody follows up, say, I'm still thinking about it. I'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see how he behaves in next week, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. And so I think he just moves on to the next thing. He thinks in his mind. He makes his point, raises a lot of stuff. We all talk about it. And then he moves on. I actually, in the end, don't think Donald Trump's going to ever sue Ted Cruz for a problem because of ads or problems because he says. I do still think it's a potential that if Ted Cruz was to somehow gain momentum and become real in the next month or so and really look like he could win, I wouldn't put it past Donald Trump suing him on the uh, Canadian-born citizenship problem. I wouldn't put that past him. And there are at least seven lawsuits out there on that point. But but John, I feel a little bad that we even tapped the eminent legal mind of Dan Abrams for this because <laughs> we're pretending like this is a legal issue where this is just so purely Trump. I mean, this is just a classic move that we've seen from him, which is to put something flashy out there and, and to then kind of walk it back a little bit when he's called on it. And it is just part of the game. And he's used lawsuits in his business life before or the threats of lawsuits to get things done. He's just, this is this is part of how it works. This, he understands the entire system, the reality show of this campaign, and, and these, these lawsuit threats are part of that. Well, look, I just do want to see the deposition. Uh, I do want to oh, see Cruz uh, deposing uh, Donald Trump. All right, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we have an interview with Marco Rubio and a visit to Bob Jones University. Coming up. ABC News Radio. The situation unfolding in the streets of Ferguson is absolutely chaotic. Another volley of shots, five or six gunshots. Honored with the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award for overall excellence for the second year in a row. We're at the Al Aqsa Martyrs Hospital, which has been hit by Israeli tank shells. There's a gun battle raging in the streets of Kiev. There is some sort of debris in the water. We will be the first plane on site. The best team in radio is right here. ABC News Radio. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl, ABC News Chief White House Correspondent, joined by my friends Rick Klein, our political director at ABC, and Matthew Dowd, uh, the esteemed political analyst who has been right on, well, about as much as all, we've all been right in this campaign. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe even a little bit more. Um, so um, I uh, had a chance to talk to Marco Rubio after his uh you know, kind of devastating performance up in New Hampshire and as he was headed down to South Carolina. I want to play a little bit of that interview and try to figure out what the heck happens next in this race. So here is my conversation with Marco Rubio. So who needs to get out? Well, that's why we're going to have an, a, a campaign in South Carolina. Ultimately, people make that decision based on their own criteria. I, I am never going to say it's time for so-and-so to get out of the race. They'll have to make that decision for themselves. But I think South Carolina will be very instructive in that regard. Well, you can't afford another fifth place finish. Um, well, that's not the plan, no. <laughs> not the plan. We want to do as well as we can. I'm not going to predict where we're going to line up because this is so very unpredictable. But we're going to do real well in South Carolina. How disappointing was that uh, to feel like you had all the momentum going to New Hampshire and then coming to 
it's, yeah, it's disappointing because I know we could have done better, and I believe we would have done better had it not been, you know, for a, a poor 90-second moment in the debate on, on Saturday night. But I, you got to put that move forward. I mean, you can't change the past. All you can do is influence the future, and that's what I'm going to focus on. But you got to acknowledge he is the overwhelming frontrunner. I mean, we've seen polls, polls. Now we've actually had a, a primary, 19-point win. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump right now is the Republican frontrunner. Well, could that change in 10 days in a race like this? Of course. Can but you win today? I feel very good about South Carolina. I really do. Well, again, I can't. The problem with predicting things like that is when you have five people in the race, many of whom are fighting with you over the same votes, it's a little harder to make that sort of prediction. So we'll see how it plays out over the next few days. I think we'll have a better idea as we get closer to, the, to Election Day. When you came up on the stage, you had your children with you. Are you thinking about them as you Absolutely. talk about what happened? Sure, because what people, don't understand, uh, people should understand, and I think most parents do, what you say to your kids is important, but what they see you do is even more important. Most of the things I learned from my parents is me watching them, watching how they overcame adversity, watching how they overcame challenges. And, and uh, I think my kids, especially my older girls, were, the girls that are a little older, were watching me. But the boys, too. They, they knew that that night did not go the way we wanted it to go. And so one day when they grow up, they're going to face a challenge, maybe even growing up. And I think the lesson they're going to learn is this is how my dad reacted to a moment that was disappointing. He owned up to the, the contribution he made to that disappointment, and he vowed to make sure that we got better. You really think this experience can make you a better candidate? Oh, it absolutely. Not just a better candidate. I think when a candidate faces tests on a campaign, it ultimately allows you to become even a better president. I don't think it's good to have a president elected that had a smooth ride all the way to the nomination. Now. I'm not saying to you that a campaign is not nearly as hard as being president. If people think coming in fifth place in New Hampshire is tough, being president of the United States every day is harder than what happened to me. Thank you very much. Thanks. Matthew, I thought it was his comments on how he dealt with that, you know, what was really kind of a phenomenal choke in New Hampshire. Uh, but, but his comments on, on how he, you know, calibrated his own response based on what his children would see was actually quite an interesting moment. I think his response to this whole thing, while some some people faulted him for delaying it by 48 hours or whatever, has been really good in the course of this. I've and We've probably all had it, but I've had some conversation with Todd Harris, who runs his politics for him, a really smart, seasoned guy who did John McCain stuff. And one of the things I noted about it is they understood, listen, we rode a wave into New Hampshire coming out of Iowa in our surprising third-place finish, and we understand that we had a media wave, and we understand that at some point, and that was the point, one of the points, that the media turned on them. And they basically, like Todd had said, we had the conversation, like, we're just going to have to ride this out. This is how it goes. We can't be mad at the media. We can't be mad anyway. This is how it works in politics. And, and so I think they actually played it very well. The other thing, I think, and one of the questions that I think you it was very well asked of him was, I think it's better for candidates to suffer these kind of downfalls. They get better candidates, and, and him having that bad debate performance and recovering from it, if he does tomorrow in South Carolina, will make him a better candidate. Just like I think Donald Trump finishing second in Iowa could, in the end, make him a better candidate. It's always, it's always a better path 
not to just do these things one after the other because you learn and recover and you're able to see how good you are in those times that are tough. Marco Rubio had match point in the in the establishment game, yep. and he double faulted. And John, I know you know this well because you're a not that great tennis player. You, you have to then <laughs> you have to then work your way back. It doesn't mean you're out of the game. You know, you yeah. still have an opportunity. It just it's going to be hard to get back to that point. I, I thought so, it was so telling what he said. I mean, this is just cliche, but you know, you can't influence the past. You can only influence the future. I'm not sure that anyone can actually say they're shaping the future of this race other than Donald Trump. Everyone else is kind of pawns in this game. And and that's the challenge, I think, for Rubio and the rest is will this field winnow enough and quickly enough that you are able to get that one-on-one challenge against him? That's the scenario where even the establishment candidate, should Rubio become that person, beats Trump. It is so difficult. This, This year, this cycle has been just dominated by Trump, and it may not be that, that Rubio gets that moment back, but I think he's still in the, in the ballgame for it. How about Jeb Bush saying that the endorsement that matters, the most important endorsement in, in South Carolina is Nikki Haley, then turning around the next day to watch Marco Rubio get that endorsement? I think, John, I think that if, if Marco Rubio ends up pulling out second in South Carolina, he can thank Nikki Haley for that. I think that go up until he got that endorsement, I think it was all pretty set that Ted Cruz was likely to finish second and Marco Rubio was likely to finish third. And so I think if that happens, that's a big outcome of that. The other thing I think, that it definitely stopped any, if there was any, any momentum or any positive movement for Jeb Bush. That may have been the moment, looking back, that it was finally foretold that Jeb Bush was done in this race when he lost the Nikki Haley endorsement because it set up what may happen in South Carolina and will tell us that Jeb Bush is not long for this race. Does Jeb Bush get out immediately if he comes in fourth or fifth? Um, I think he gets uh, if he comes in fourth or fifth. I mean, if it's if it's within two points of third, then I think they ride out another week and a half. I think if he's a distant fourth or fifth, he's gone by Monday morning. The pressure is going to be immense. I, it's just hard to imagine a scenario where he can spin, uh, once again, his super PAC outspending just about everyone else combined in the state of South Carolina. You had the president, uh, former president there. You had him campaigning with Barbara Bush. He, of course, uh, sought that Haley endorsement, and he just looked uh, like you, you took the air out of his tires uh, after that. And, and, and you even had people at his events pleading with him to change his tone or to do something better. And he just seems resigned to this. He took his glasses off. He's wearing contacts, the new Jeb. But it doesn't seem like he's long for this race. And I, I'm with Matthew. If, if he's not part of the conversation, uh, you know, close to the top three, it's just going to be hard to justify. The other thing, John, the other thing, John that I think that it, depending on the outcome of, of South Carolina is we're going to all the rules of the playbooks, which have been rewritten now for seven months, are going to be rewritten again because here's two scenarios that are likely to happen. Jeb Bush had a very popular president, a very popular former first lady come into a state they're beloved of, and he finishes way deep in the lineup on election night and basically has to get out. That's another part of the playbook nobody expected. The other part, which is Donald Trump. If Donald Trump is somehow wins South Carolina, this is in, in the aftermath of having attacked and told a, that a former president lied to the country, that he uh, that he went after a very popular incumbent governor of South Carolina. He went after a very popular incumbent United States senator in South Carolina, and he got in a fight with the pope. <laughs> and if he wins South Carolina after that, it's going to be people are going to be shaking their heads and say, how can we stop this guy? Right, I want to get more to Trump in our in our uh, final block. But before before we leave here, Ted Cruz, uh, you, you raised the possibility of Marco Rubio coming in second in South Carolina. If, if, if Rubio is able to beat Ted Cruz in South Carolina, 
What what is it? And, and Cruz is finding himself with a third place finish. This is somebody who ha- will have won Iowa, barely won Iowa. Um, uh, you know, come in third in a distant third in New Hampshire. Now another third place finish. Where's he going to win next? Well, I think. His people were, after his Iowa victory in the Iowa caucus, his people were basically telling everybody, now it set us up a path that we're going to win South Carolina and go into March 1st, the strongest candidate representing social conservatives and the very conservatives. That was what they had in their mind. That is not going to, that doesn't look like it's going to happen in the course of this race. Now, if he finishes third, He's then setting himself up to go in the March 1st states, which is was supposed to be the rock-solid place where Ted Cruz finally starts winning or starts consistently winning in the course of this. I think if he finishes third, Ted Cruz, because he has money, because he has resources, and he's a smart guy, will obviously stay in this race. But the path to the nomination for Ted Cruz gets very, very, very tight. And I can't see him coming out of South Carolina with a third-place finish and winning many, if any, states on March 1st. And Cruz needs to show that he's the candidate of the South, and to not have a strong finish in South Carolina would take that away. And he's got the money to stick around. I expect him to be one of the last three candidates showing, but he's going to have to replicate what he did in Iowa, and sooner rather than later, because of the pressures that are are brought by the Trump factor. And look, the the polls that we've seen out of South Carolina still have uh, Cruz in second place, so we'll see. Got to take a quick break. When we come back, some fascinating discussions at Bob Jones University about Donald Trump. When news breaks, ABC News Radio is there. There is an active shooter situation at Fort Hood. When tragedy struck Fort Hood again. Police moving around the base. They're giving prescriptions of a person that they're looking for now. I'm a pretty seasoned reporter, but I thought, no, this couldn't be happening again. ABC News Radio honored with the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award for outstanding breaking news coverage. When news breaks, there's only one place to turn, right here. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl with my friend Matthew Dowd, Rick Klein as well. So, Matthew, I ventured down to really a, a place that I know you've been to as well, Bob Jones University. Basically, it, it doesn't get more conservative, Christian, evangelical South Carolina than Bob Jones University. There was a presidential forum with four of the candidates. Donald Trump did not show up. And I just want to play for you and then come out and talk to you about this. Uh, Just some fascinating conversations I had with students, professors, visitors to Bob Jones University about the Republican frontrunner. Here it goes. What do you expect to hear from these presidential candidates? We've heard Ben Carson before. I really enjoyed that, but I'm excited to hear more. Yeah. Have you decided who you're going to vote for? I try to not decide till closer and see how the polls are looking and then decide based on who I think could win. Let me ask you about the guy that's the head of the polls right now, Donald Trump. What do you think of him? I don't like his personality. I think he can be a bit rude, and I don't agree with a lot of what he has said, but I do think he could potentially be a good president. Really? Why? Like, he would follow through with what he says, and I think we need someone that would be strong and that would just get the job done. Do you think he's a very religious guy? No. What do you want out of a presidential candidate? Well, somebody who has character, first of all. Conservative in his issues and stand by the Constitution and not not go against it. What do you think of Donald Trump? I don't like him as much. I Why? feel like, because um, I don't think there's that character there. D- does it bother you when he swears? This has been a little bit of a thing he's... Well, he's, yeah, I, you know, I, eventually he's going to be dealing with people across the globe. You can't just cuss at everybody simply because you just think it's something you need to do. 
What about you, sir? What do you think of Donald Trump? I think he's trying real hard to, like he said, rebuild America. But uh, I'm voting for Ted Cruz because I think he has the conservative values that I'm most interested in. And virtue is one of the most important qualities of a leader, especially president. So I feel like Ted Cruz has that, and I don't think Donald Trump has as much as that. I'm for Ted Cruz. I want a president that I can see has character. I want a president that does what they say they're going to do. When I see Ted Cruz in a speech or anything, I like what I hear. What do you think of Donald Trump? He would not be my first choice, but I would certainly vote for him over the Democratic candidate. What are you looking for in a presidential candidate? Conservatism, morality. And who do you think has that? Not sure. Not sure. What do you think of Donald Trump? Interesting. Very interesting. Interesting? <laughs> that's that's my word. Could you vote for him? Mm, we'll see. Like oh. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. What do you like about him? He's the only real conservative. What do you think about Donald Trump? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, there are a lot of good points that he brings, but other stuff I don't agree with as well. Like what? Like, I, I don't agree with him about sending some of the uh, immigrants back. Yeah. I mean, if they're willing to work for their freedom, then, I mean, by all means, let them work. What do you think of Donald Trump? He's interesting. Interesting. I've heard <laughs> that from other people. What makes him I interesting? Li I like a lot of the things he says because he isn't really uh, politically correct. He'll right. say what he what he needs to be said. What about when he swears? I don't mind that. You don't mind? <laughs> no. I don't like it. I, I don't swear, and I don't like people swearing, but I think, you know, in the United States and in our politics, you get what you get. <laughs> well, there you go. Those are uh, folks at Bob Jones University talking about the Republican field, and not a lot of warmth for uh, for Donald Trump there in the heart of uh, evangelical South Carolina, conservative evangelical South Carolina, Matthew. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you could, it's telling, and it doesn't surprise me at all. But when you take a look at take a look at the results, Donald Trump didn't do badly among evangelicals in Iowa. He didn't win them, but he didn't do badly. He won evangelicals. It's a smaller percentage, and very conservative voters in New Hampshire. And right now, if you take a look at the polls in South Carolina, he's splitting evangelicals in South Carolina and winning conservatives in South Carolina. And so, I think. That part of the thing that people misunderstand, I think, about South Carolina evangelicals, and Bob Jones is representative of that, versus a caucus goer who's an evangelical, is they're not driven to the polls in the same way. An evangelical is much more like a regular GOP voter in South Carolina than they are an evangelical voter in Iowa. Their social issues aren't driving them to the polls. They, they, they're approaching this like, I want a strong leader. I want somebody that tells it like it is. Oh, by the way, I don't like these things about Donald Trump, and I may not vote for him, but it's not nearly as off-putting in Donald Trump's persona and personality in a place like South Carolina as it was in a place like Iowa. Yeah, and it was interesting in my conversations, and that was just kind of a, a snippet of, of the, you know, what I, people I spoke to, is, you know, you, you had people who had questions about Trump and, you know, how committed a Christian he was and uh, not certainly not liking his swearing. And by the way, could this be the first race where you could see somebody actually lose some points, uh, actual points in the polls because of, uh, of, of the way they've uttered profanity in, in, in public places? Uh, but but they, they all, to a person, said that they could see supporting him if he were the Republican nominee. I did not talk to a single person uh, even at Bob Jones University, the most conservative of the evangelical uh, uh, voters in in South Carolina, 
who said that, uh, you know, no way, no how to Donald Trump. Well, I think they look across the aisle. I mean, I think one of the benefits that the Republicans have, whoever gets the nomination in the course of this, and even if there's some unacceptability about that person in many segments, is they look across the aisle and say, well, I might not like this person that got nominated, but I look over there, I certainly don't like that. And so the negative driver may be as high, it may be as strong as the positive driver for the candidate that you're supporting in, in the end in yourself. So I think whoever starts winning, that's the thing about these campaigns, whoever starts winning, everybody starts liking them more as they start winning. And I think that whoever that is, Donald Trump, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, whoever that happens to be, once you start winning, it's amazing what it does to people's perceptions of you. It really is. You know, so, so let's just, uh, in, in closing here, Matthew, take a step back. When you think about Donald Trump over the last seven, eight months since, we, since he got into this race, he has attacked John McCain, he has attacked Fox News, he has attacked Roger Ailes, he has attacked the Koch brothers, he has attacked President George W. Bush. He's attacked now, well, and, and to be fair to the Donald, he didn't start it, but he's attacked the Pope, gotten in a fight with the Pope. Is, is any of it ever going to stick? And at, let's add to it, he's attacked audiences that he's in a debate, a national debate with. He's he attacked, attacked the <laughs> Iowa voters. He said, the, the, how stupid can the people of Iowa be? Yeah, he's <laughs> attacked the Republican audience in Republican debates. I mean, he's attacked the RNC. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, I mean, what Donald Trump has to worry about, I think, is there is there a a broad cumulative effect of it that it somehow takes hold in people's minds that they say, okay, that was okay, that was okay, but is the 23rd thing that happens or the 28th thing that happens become so heavy that it starts weighing him down? We don't know the answer to that, of course, of that. He may end up start winning, and if he starts winning, the conduct of this won't matter anymore. But I think that's a fear that if I were in the Trump campaign, I'd have that at some point does too many of these things weigh me down. Incredible. All right, well, Matthew Dowd, We'll be back again next week with our friend Rick Klein. This has been Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl.